Guys, thank you so much for tuning in to Coco Girl Podcast. And we are joined with Nikita today. And we're going to be speaking about mental health in the Bain community. Nikita, welcome. Please do tell me about yourself. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And hi, everyone. Um, so my name is Nikita and I am a counsellor and a trainee counselling psychologist. Um, so I love all things mental health. Um, I founded my own therapy practice called Therapy-ish. Um, which I see clients for. I also have a podcast um, and just do lots of things around kind of raising awareness about mental health. Amazing. So I really wanted to kick off first and foremost with what's going on at the moment. So there's two major things in our world and everyone's world, one being the coronavirus and the loneliness that it's um, causing, the furloughs, just, just the stress, the panic. And then secondly, in our community, in the Black community, in the Bain community, the fact that we don't speak about mental health, especially when it comes to our Black men. So what, what are your takes on those two topics? Okay, so to start with coronavirus. So this year has been absolutely wild. I know. Absolutely, absolutely wild for all of us, for all parties involved. Um, I think it's just been a year that none of us could have ever expected or anticipated. Um, And yes, as you rightly said, loneliness. I mean, I think it kicked off with anxiety, actually, because we heard about it affecting different countries, but I don't think any of us had realised how hard it was going to hit us here and how much it was going to affect us. And then suddenly, I don't know if you remember, like toilet roll. (laughs) I know. Toilet roll roll and pasta. And, you know, I I have a small baby. There was no nappies. And I was driving around to Asda, to Tesco. And, of course, there's other supermarkets available. Um, But I I was really stressed. I was like, where on earth am I getting a size three from? It, It was pure panic, sheer yeah absolutely and I remember even like tea bag that was just that was really heartbreaking for me that there were no tea bags left and people were stockpiling on that the anxiety was just through the roof and I think part of it as well the words that were being used on media the words that were being used to describe what we were going through are words that we actually haven't used very commonly before words like lockdown, pandemic, words like quarantine. Yeah, mm. yeah. And and these are words that I know that this wasn't necessarily the intention, but they're words that make us feel like we don't have a choice. The word lockdown in itself, um, and and that not having choice, not having control, is very very anxiety provoking for people. But then when we look specifically in our black community. I feel, and I obviously, I don't speak for every person of uh, darker skin or mixed heritage, but I feel that counselling, life coaching, these sort of therapies are not that widely accepted in our communities. I, I personally had some life coaching during this period. I, I, I found it quite intense and me and a new mother um recently divorced I, I felt that having some sort of coaching some sort of reassurance would help me yeah. and give me that confidence some hand holding but I know a lot of my my friends and my um business associates um from a similar background was like whoa <laughs> Jana this is so yeah. white no you don't need yeah. that you know we we black people we're strong and it's like no we're, all people need that Do, Nikita yeah. does that 
resound with you? Do you ever feel with your clients that there is a bit of a resilience that actually it's not an Afro-Caribbean or an African thing to go and get life coaching or to go counselling? It's seen as a bit of a stigma. Absolutely. There absolutely is stigma. And I think that it's something that, you know, we're brought up in a culture that tells us to be strong. It tells us to get our heads down, get on yes. with it. You'll have to work twice as hard. Yes. Just get on with it. Don't cry. Just get on with it. Do you know what I mean? But I feel like this year with what we've been through, first there was COVID and then there was the BAME and COVID statistic and finding out, you know, that we were more likely to have COVID and then... Can I just quickly yeah. ask you, Nikita, is it that biologically, do you reckon it's that we're more susceptible to get COVID and not recover? Or... Is it that our black aunties and uncles are out there on the front line? They're the ones Mm. that work in the hospital. They're the ones that work on the train lines. And they're the ones that I suppose are exposed and they don't have the PPE. It's really political, but I'm just so curious to know what you think uh, as a fellow sister. Okay. I mean, my first first and foremost, I don't think Mm. that there is any biological or genetic predisposition that makes us more susceptible to COVID than any other person. I don't believe that at all. Because if that were the case, you would go to Africa, you would go to the Caribbean, um, you would go to certain parts of America and you would see that the the rates of COVID would be far higher in those countries. That is simply not the case. It is is the case in Western countries that um, Black and ethnic minorities are more susceptible or seem to have three, seem to have higher higher levels of COVID, which therefore means that there must be a failure of the system somehow, um, and not necessarily that we have a genetic predisposition. And that's what really irked me about when the figures came up because I, I really thought it made it seem that way. And actually later on it came out that there were about ten pages from that report that we went into the, that were removed. Really? And, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh and so there's a lot of information that we weren't given. But like you rightly said, a lot of black people are on the front line. That the jobs we have, not just that, but we know that socioeconomic status sometimes yeah. is a predictor for exactly. And I suppose illnesses. And I suppose, and, and you know, like mm-hmm. so. I suppose the majority. I don't know if you're London based, but the majority of ethnic minorities tend to be in a city urban base so let's say within mm. London and surrounding areas and as we know in London we generally live in apartments so we're living in confined spaces yes, with communal with family members exactly so it yeah. does make me question is it because I've got Jamaican in me <laughs> is it because yes. um you know African heritage or is it just because circumstances we work these type of jobs um not everyone but you know if we had to pigeonhole which I hate to but looking at statistics and is it because we generally live in the city it's just a big question mark for me I'm like yeah absolutely well you look at someone like Belly Belly Majinga who was an underground worker working during COVID oh my um, god and whose face was spatting and she ended up, you know, contracting COVID and passing away. And, you know, it's because she was in that role. And not only that, she had she had made known that she wasn't comfortable. I remember. With doing that. Mm-hmm. And then we have, like you rightly said, kind of taking it back to mental health, that we are far less likely to be off for things like anxiety. So when COVID happened, 
a lot of like nurses and doctors and other professionals and like that, that are on the front line um, of, of black and ethnic minority heritage wouldn't have gone to say I'm anxious I don't want to come in because that's just, we're not brought up to think that way exactly we're not brought up to do that exactly exactly um and then another thing that I was thinking about um mm-hmm. I don't know because I'm not a black mm-hmm. male um mm. I haven't experienced some of the things that a lot of my close friends have, so I can't speak firsthand. But as a let's say extension of their voice, a lot of my friends have been worried with, you know, even before the George Floyd, even before the Brianna mm. um incident, being stopped and searched by police, just as young mm. black men. And you know what? We we are like I said, they are my friends, therefore they're close to me and they confide with me and they have shared their struggle with mental health, their anxiety, their depression, their worry, um mm. ju- just the colour of their skin. And how how do we remedy that? Because mm. I would hate to imagine being a six foot two black man, you know, in the evening, maybe walking down Brixton and being stopped and searched and what what could happen because I'm just seen as another face. Is there any um, system in place? Do we have any free counselling for for trauma? From black police brutality. Yeah. Um, is there anything? Because I've process. looked online that there, there isn't a governing body, there isn't a, a helpline that you can ring if you're, you're sweating and choked up, having an anxiety attack at four in the morning because you mm. were stopped. Why? Why is it now? Or am I just uneducated and there is? Sorry, I get really welled up about it because I'm a mum yeah. of a boy. So I just yeah. think, oh, my God, you know? Is there That's okay. Um, so is there, not that I know of, I mean, there are organisations kind of running around this. There's one organisation that comes to mind that's called 56 Black Men, um, and it's run, it's run by black men. And basically the idea is um, undoing the stigma um, behind, you know, black men and how black men are profiled. Um, so they've done quite a bit of work and they've had like billboards out and exhibitions and they've been on the news kind of talking about the very things that you're talking about. Um, as to a particular counselling organisation, I'm not I'm not aware that there is one, but I am aware that there's so many different there's so many different issues in the community as it pertains to mental health and even the mental health of, of black men that we need to tackle. And so that's definitely a gap in the market we, we should target. we should speak about this Nikita at some time because I would love mm. to be a sounding board not that I have much time um with a, uh, with a toddler but the few hours <laughs> that I do have I I would be happy to try and commit to setting something up you know mm. just the helpline if someone's um struggled with discrimination and that that post-trauma mm. I suppose I'm speaking to you as a counsellor that yeah. post-traumatic um, stress that sometimes you don't realise until you're triggered. And what mm. I've learned from my coaching um, recently is it's all about triggers. You might not realise after an incident how it affects you until something mm. crops up in your day-to-day life and it triggers mm. you. And what, mm. what happens? Do you cry? Do you have a breakdown? Do you... Do you, do you well, for me, I, I work very much internal to myself Mm. share things so many things you don't realize I don't know I just think there should be someone there that there should be a Mm. helpline something there's so many of 
are men out there experiencing mm-hmm. this? Yeah. They don't know who to speak to. She can't speak to mum. Yes. Different generation. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So even just kind of along those lines, it, it just makes me think of the immense pressure that is that is on black men, like the immense pressure, not just, you know, there's a whole be a man thing. Yeah. Not just so there's not just the cultural thing, but there's that and then there's also the pressure of, okay, because of how I look, authorities don't trust me. If anything happens, um, I'm probably one of the more likely to be suspected of being guilty because I'm 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 just I just fit the description of, of what do you know what I mean? There's a profiling thing. And I was just thinking about um, one statistic about um, black men's uh, mental health. It's to do with suicide. And it says, whilst the white Caucasian population experienced the highest rates for suicidal thoughts, suicide rates um, are higher among black men of black African and black Carib- Caribbean origin. Um, Gosh. Especially like middle-aged. And so it's it shows you that, and, and even like it's well known that Black men don't really access primary mental health care services. No, no. Call That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah, actually, rates are much higher. Um, detentions for um, black men, like into um, inpatient um, mental health settings, are like four times, four times the uh, amount of their white counterparts. And yes. this is because, like, literally, help is not sought until breaking point. Absolutely. And then Nikita, I don't know if you watch um, Netflix. But there's a mm. fantastic series. I've spoke about it so much in my podcast this season called Dear mm. White People. Have you watched it? No, I haven't. Oh, my goodness. It is phenomenal. And it really explores um, the many challenging um, experiences that black people in, well, it, it's American-based, but in America mm-hmm. have experienced um, there there is a gay couple there is interracial mm. couple that there is so much there it's quite political but it really mm. shines a light on mental health um mm-hmm. and i was gonna pick your brain about a few of the characters but we will revisit oh. that <laughs> at yes, some point <laughs> and see what you think and then lastly i just wanted to ask what would be your your advice to anyone who's struggling out there to 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 an ethnic minority to a black to an asian to anyone in our vain community anyone that feels that accessing counseling isn't for them or it's not available how how can we work through it as a community what, what should we do the first thing I would say is redefining our idea of strength, right? Because we all, at the end of the day, let's face it, we all want to be strong. We all want to be strong. Um, and it's not wrong to want to be strong, but it's what we think that being strong is. And actually, it is incredibly strong to ask for help. Incredibly. It takes incredible strength to ask for help. That's beautiful. And, and so it's really important that we remind ourselves remind each other and always bear in mind that it's okay to ask for help it's 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 not a sign of weakness in fact it is a show of strength um and in a similar way you know like let's let's compare mental health to physical health if someone had broken their leg you wouldn't say it's strong to um not go to the hospital you would definitely, it, it is, it's, it's a sign of strength and a step towards strength for you to actually go to the hospital with that broken leg and get a cast and get it healed. Do you know what I mean? And so I think we need to view mental health in the same way. It's mental health is 
is mental health. It's not a death sentence. It's a part of our health and we need to treat it accordingly. And so I think there is a lot of work to be done in our community to destigmatize mental health. But I think it starts with us knowing that it is okay to reach out for help and it's also okay to reach out for help before breaking point. And then, Nikita, obviously you are a counsellor. Are your services free for any communities in particular? Do you work with any associations or charities that maybe we can speak about for anyone that's listening? Because obviously with our economic depression, I know that finances are tight for everyone. That You know, mm-hmm. without being colour discriminative, I think everyone is struggling. Is there anything accessible mm-hmm. maybe for free out there? Okay, so um, my services um, directly are not free at the moment, um, but I do work with an organisation called Black Minds Matter UK. Um, They're on Instagram and they also have a website. And Black Minds Matter um, basically did some fundraising during the whole um, George Floyd um, kind of season to be able to pay for therapy sessions for people. So basically you would go through Black Minds Matter and they would pay for a period of 12 sessions of wow. therapy, so you would receive therapy for free. Wow. So I'm, I'm affiliated to them, and so technically you can receive therapy with me through Black Minds Matter. Oh, Nikita, that's so amazing. You're amazing for being a part of that movement. Um, Thank you. I just cannot wait to speak to you again and explore some further themes in that series because I think there's so much we can speak about. But until mm. then, I'm going to thank you for being mm. my very special guest today on the part two of the mental health within the BAME sector. Give any um, final advice, then we will sign off and say good night to our listeners or good evening. It depends uh, where they are. Good evening, good morning. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yes. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, the only advice I would give is um, just, again, everyone, speak up. Let's help to destigmatize mental health and let's start with ourselves. Let's start with seeking the help, seeking the support that we that we need for whatever it is that we may have gone through or whatever it is that we may be experiencing. But thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. And I also really appreciate you making the time to talk about this topic because it's so, so, so important and so crucial. And it's very, very valued and very needed. Thank you, Nikita. Thank you to all of our listeners. And we look forward to you joining in on our next podcast. Take care, be safe, and of course, keep washing your hands. Good night.